Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Genesis 18, we're looking at verses 22 through 33. Genesis 18, starting in verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. But Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So we're at the fairgrounds, and this week we have seen, if you've been out here much or seen all the exhibits that were here, we have seen a lot of judging that has happened here this week. Like it is judge central. Uh, every event you come to is going to have someone judging the content or the animal or the thing that you've done. And I just want to throw out a question. Does a judge ever get it wrong? Does a judge ever get it wrong? Do you, are there sometimes, how do we feel about it when we think a judge has gotten it wrong? Many projects that I'm sure parents invested their kids in, maybe they raised the, the cow or the pig or the sheep or whatever, put a lot of money and investment into this animal, and they are certain that theirs was the best-looking uh, heifer out there, and then it doesn't get grand champion. How do you feel about that? When you know this was the best-looking uh, cow that was out there, but no, it's gonna, it, doesn't get the, uh, it doesn't get the judgment. How do we feel about that? Maybe you've been to some baseball games this past week, or this past summer, not this week, kind of ours is over, but maybe you've been to baseball this past summer. For pra- all practical purposes, the umpire behind the plate is a judge. 
It is a person who is saying, either that was a ball or that was a strike. And sometimes we sit behind the plate, and what we're convinced was a strike, he'll call a ball. And guess what? It was a ball. <laughs> because they are the judge, and they get to call it. And now, I know this is none of us in here, uh, but sometimes you're with friends, maybe, who disagree with the call. And what do they do? They announce very loudly, right? Looked good to me. And they're, not, they're kind of encouraging the pitcher, but they also kind of want the judge to know, you screwed that one up. You messed up. That looked good to me. That was a strike, not a ball. We make sure everyone hears it because it is one thing to lose fairly, right? We don't mind, like, if, we're, if all's square and all's fair and we play the game and all the calls are just perfect, obvious calls, we don't mind to lose in that situation. But man, if we get wronged, we get really upset. We want there to be fair play. We expect the people who are selected as judges around us to do what is right. Why? And we expect them to do what is right. Why? Why do we expect them to do what is right? Well, it is hardwired into every one of us as image bearers of a holy and righteous and perfect God that we want justice. We want right to be done. Well, we love the Charlie Brown Christmas special and Sally, as she's writing her letter out to Santa and she's asking for these exorbitant things, she says, all I want is my fair share. All I want to get, all I want is what I deserve. I want what's coming to me. All I want is my fair share. And we're Sally. We, we just, we want a fair share. We want what's coming to us. And we do. We want what we believe to be right with a capital R. Not just, we're, we're saying this is right. Either they made the base on time or they didn't. We want the right call. Either our animal was the best looking animal or else it wasn't. We want the right call. And this comes from a sense of rightness that we expect from the world. Now notice, this is not something the world taught you. What the world teaches us is that you ought to expect at least probably half the time not to get the right thing. <laughs> The world teaches us on plenty of occasions where the right thing does not happen. The thing that we think is the obvious right choice and it doesn't go that way. The world has not taught us what is that we should get what is right. There's something intrinsic, something about being made in the image and likeness of a just and holy God that has implanted in us, that has not been broken by the fall, that sense of rightness remains in us. It is not the world. Evolution has not taught us this. It's not some humanistic worldview that teaches us to long for what is right. It comes from a God who made us in his image on purpose and with a purpose. Because everything is going somewhere, there's a rightness to everything that happens until we reach that destination. That is because intrinsically we have been made in the image and likeness of God. We know there's a point. We know there's such a thing as right, and we think it should be served. We think justice should be done. Abraham agrees with us. There at the verse 25 um, in, the, in, in chapter 18 that we read this morning, Abraham puts this question to God. 
you know, we're in the narrative of where they've just met with these three visitors. One, we've said, like, is the Lord and a couple of angels there with them. They've met with angels, these, the three men, the, the three representatives, had a meal. The prophecy has been made about Sarah is going to give birth to a child, Sarah, who is well beyond the way of women and, and has been barren all of her life. He's going to have a miracle child named Isaac. And so all of these great things have happened. But these, these visitors, they look down at Sodom. And, and, and Abraham says, this, he asks this question of the visitors. Far be it, he says, from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. So the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. And here's the question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just, do what is right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? He puts a question, and it's a rhetorical question. Like, we don't get the answer right in here, but the obvious answer, if he's the judge of all the earth, will he not do what is right? Yes, or else he would have to deny himself at being perfect and righteous and holy to do injustice. God does no injustice. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And this text is the center of our focus this morning. Here's kind of the big idea in four snippets. We don't have any screens up here. Big idea in four snippets. God will do what is right. God will do what is right. Secondly, sinners need a mediator. Sinners need a mediator. God will do what is right. Sinners need a mediator. Third point, it's giving it away, so if you follow, if you lose a, a track and lose your attention. Third point, Jesus is a perfect mediator. And lastly, who will tell the news? So following this conversation, God will do what is right. Sinners need a mediator. Jesus is the perfect mediator. And who will tell the news? So following this conversation, the visitors sit out. And Abraham stops them, and they go a little ways, and they look at this city, Sodom, a famous city. You've probably heard of it. It's quite famous. And they look down. This is where Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, is living. And he looks down, and, and, and the, the visitors, God, the Lord says, should I reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do, which is destroy this city? Because it's wickedness. The cries of the city have reached God's ears, and he's, he's going to destroy the city. He says, should I reveal it? And so he does, and Abraham stands in his way. He interjects. He's going to send these angels to, it's an effort to, to leave the people of city. These angels are going to go, and they're going to find out for sure. Will the men of Sodom give a kind response to God? Will they repent? Will they get it? And then based on that, they'll either receive a merciful response from God or a deserved judgment. And so Abraham stands before him, right? And we have this famous passage of if it's 40, if it's 45, if it's 40, if it's 30, if it's 20, if it's 10. And he kind of says to God, will you, will you destroy righteous people along with the wicked? Will you not do what is right? And God says, no, surely I will not kill and I will not wipe out Sodom if there's just 10 righteous people in Sodom. Spoiler alert. If you haven't read up on it yet, plug your ears, but don't because this is the whole, this kind of important point. Spoiler alert. He doesn't find them and Sodom is destroyed. 
That's in chapter, that's the chapter 19. That's next week. If you want to hear all about that, or it's in a, that's actually in three weeks. But anyway, come anyway. But uh, we're, we'll get to what happens with Sodom there in chapter 19, that they are wiped out. To start his appeal to God, Abraham makes a very interesting statement, right, regarding God and his character and nature. This is his proposition. This is his question. But really it is that the judge of all the earth, he will do what is just. He will do what is right. And the answer to the question is an obvious yes. The judge of all the earth will do what is right. But remember, what is right in this instance is the destruction of the wicked. Those who have rebelled against God, those who are marching away from him, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The answer is yes. And it is that he will destroy the wicked. It is important for us to see that this is the just judgment of a righteous God against a rebellious people. God is a just God. And wickedness and rebellion will not go unpunished forever. And Sodom is a, is a, par- is a real event that serves as a parable of what happens to wickedness. It is destroyed by God. Uh, became popular. I'm a 90s kid, so... It, the phrase, only God can judge me. I won't, don't go look it up, but don't listen to the song. But, and I just made you, by referencing it. But the only God can judge me. It's kind of like this, you know, you can't judge me. I'm not worried. You know, whatever you think of me, only God can judge me. It's often stated as like some sort of comfort. Like, I don't care what you think of me. You may think poorly of me, but only God can judge me. But the reality is, that is a very, very unsettling statement. Because it's true. Only God can judge you, and he will. And what God shows in this story is that he is a righteous God. He will do what is just. He will do what is right, which is destroy the wicked. Brings us to a very important worldview reality. God is just and he will punish sin. He will punish sinners. We often like to turn a sentiment like God will do what is right into meaning something like God's going to be okay with everything. God will do what is right, so no matter what, Everything will be okay. Saying things just like everything will be okay. But this is not true. For the people of Sodom, it was not okay when everything shook out in the end. God does not judge as we do. He sees it all. It's interesting, you you look earlier in chapter 18, that laugh of Sarah's that we talked about last week if you were here. But that, that laugh of Sarah, you can read it here earlier in in, um, in chapter 18, God promises to bring a child, and Abraham, or Sarah knows she's old. In verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? But Sarah, in verse 12, we see Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? There's something uh, terrifying there, that the judge of all the earth does not just look upon our actions. He actually knows our inner thoughts and our inner, our inner uh, proclivities and motives and everything. And he will judge. He does not judge as we do. He sees it all and even the thoughts of our heart. He knows it all. He sees it all. And he takes it all into account. So the next important reality is that if God is just and will punish sin, where does that leave us on our own? We are included, Scripture tells us, 
by our nature, not with the righteous, but with the wicked. Scripture tells us, Romans, the Bible's very clear on this front. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. We sit in the camp of Sodom by nature. We were all at once uh, by nature children of wrath and destined for destruction is our nature. Now, this is the camp that we all sit in in our natural state. Now, you can react to that in a, in, in a couple of different ways, but one way is what I get a lot from people is we get offended. How dare you say that I am a sinner in need of saving? One way to react to this information is to take offense. How dare something be like that be said about me? But I would like for you to think with me for a moment. Think about the pressure-relieving reality that this can be for you. Think about the pressure-relieving reality that this is. It is sinners who God is at work to rescue. The only one that qualifies, the only people who qualify for God's rescue are sinners. So if we want to be offended and say, I'm actually doing pretty well, thank you very much. That, that idea of sinners, the idea of me being associated with Sodom where sin and rebellion is happening is ridiculous. I'll never be with them. That disqualifies you actually from salvation. That disqualifies you from God saving you. So while it may be offensive to be told you are a sinner, realize there is no one who is not a sinner. We all sit at equal footing. We all, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, they like to say. That everyone approaches the cross in the same way as a sinner. It is this truth that qualifies you for the grace of God. So then what we see next is that Abraham steps in. And the almost good news, the almost good news for Sodom is that they have an intercessor. They have a mediator. Abraham is friends with God. He's just shared a meal with him. Abraham, we know because of his faith in God's promise, right, in Genesis 15, he's been counted righteous. He's a friend of God. He's in good standing with God because of his faith in God's promises to him. Abraham is already saved by faith in the coming promised Messiah. He's in right standing. And so he steps in as a mediator on behalf of Sodom. He tries to stand in the gap and he talks God down even to the finding of ten people, right? A mediator must be in good standing both with those he's representing, Lot and Sodom, and with the party that is offended. But Abraham's mediation is insufficient. It is not sufficient to save Sodom. Something greater needs to happen. So this morning, I want us to see that there is someone greater than Abraham. And we'll do this over and over again as we walk through the book of Genesis, any Old Testament passage. Abraham is not the ultimate point. He's pointing to someone else. Abraham's mediation is not the point of the text. He's pointing to a future mediator that is far greater than Abraham himself. All of Scripture is pointing ultimately to Christ and to his work. Jesus, where Abraham failed, Jesus succeeds. Jesus succeeds as a mediator. If you have your Bibles out, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, way at the back of your Bible, way at the end of the New Testament. 
First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing, of, pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is a, a real, genuine desire in the heart of God to save sinners, to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then verse 5 says, Because for there is one God, and because there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus is a better mediator. God, the holy, righteous, perfect God, us mankind as in rebellion since the fall of Adam and Eve, in rebellion, running away from God, do not sit in favor with him. We need a mediator, and Jesus is the perfect mediator. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Your deeds will not mediate favor with God. Your actions, your good works, whatever they may be, they are not enough to mediate between you and God. You need a mediator. Praise be to God, we have one. His name is Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Not only is he a better mediator, he's also a better intercessor, a better prayer. Back in Hebrews chapter 7, which we've talking about the, the priestly order of Melchizedek, but it speaks about Jesus and how his priesthood goes on forever. Consequently, because he does not die, because Jesus has suffered on the cross for the sins of his people. The, the, the just judgment that we deserve, that his people deserve, Christ shoulders himself upon the cross is buried, killed, buried, and put in a tomb for three days and then resurrects from the grave to never die again, to live forever in victory over sin and death and judgment so that every one of us in this room this morning, turning from our sins, confessing, I do deserve the punishment of your wrath. I have run away from you. Confessing that and looking to Christ as the Savior, as our mediator, can be forgiven of our sin and justified in his sight. Made right, set righteous with God. And Jesus, who now has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where does he, he's now in heaven making intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is a better mediator. He's a better intercessor. As we close, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just this idea of reconciliation. So what now? In our union with the sinful reality of the world, those born under the wrath of God, deserving his just judgment, what now? Jesus is a better mediator. And if for you in, this morning, in the room this morning who turning from our sin, this is, this is the good news of the gospel. That you can be forgiven. That the destruction that is due to you, we can come out from underneath through faith in Jesus Christ. 
in a very real, meaningful way, we are given eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll just read a few verses here. Look at verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. What now? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again and again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, meaning his people. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Our mission statement here at Missio Church, we exist to glorify God by equipping all of Christ's people to worship him with all of their lives. And here's a text for that. That because Christ has saved us and rescued us and ransomed us and made us his own, we do not live for ourselves. We have died with Christ. And the life we now live, we live for him, for the sake of him who died and was raised for us. And it goes on our mission statement, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one else according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We exist to glorify God by equipping all of Christ's people to worship him with all of their lives and to give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, by faith in Christ, by being found in him, we might become the righteousness of God. These are the realities that flow out of our mission statement here at Missio. The truth is, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. All sin will be punished, either by punishment having been dealt to the wrongdoer, or in the case of those who put their trust in Christ, their punishment has already been placed upon Christ. Christ has relieved it by taking it upon himself as their great mediator. What we see at the cross is the law of God and his perfect justice and the love of God perfectly meeting. That God is perfectly just and the justifier of the ungodly who will believe in Jesus Christ. This is the good news that drives God's people forward. What this brings to lost and dying sinners is true life. The search that we're all on at some level to give life meaning, 
to try to find some purpose that's bigger than ourselves. You don't get a bigger purpose than this. That God is at work in the world to redeem a people for himself. That one day Christ will return. Make a new heavens and a new earth and establish his kingdom here where he will reign forever with his people. A purpose that will go on into eternity. There is no greater purpose to live for than this. And through Christ, through his mediation, through his intercession, we can be reconciled to God and have this eternal purpose be ours as well. To make him known, to glorify his name, to magnify him above all else. This is the end for which God created the world. His glory through the saving of a people through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, may this be our eternal hope. God, we thank you. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard reality sometimes to thank you that you are a just God. That you will do what is right. But at, and because what that means is that apart from Christ, we have nothing. Apart from Christ, we sit under your condemnation because the judge of all the earth will do what is right. But what is also true is that not only is the law of God going to be perfectly fulfilled in Christ, but the love of God is put on display that sinners, which are all of us in this room this morning, could be reconciled to you and to your great purpose in the world, the glory of your name, by saving a people for yourself. Father, I pray for every heart in this room this morning that we would not shy away from your justice, which we all intrinsically cry out for right to be done. We would not shy away from that, but that we would take it further and rejoice in not just your justice, but in your justification of the one who has faith in Christ. May that be our hope and our peace and our joy all of our days. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.